Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is our study from the New Testament book of James. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form for you to fill out so we can get to know you better. If you haven't done this already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to James chapter 1. Maybe you have an app. It's easier to open it up to James 1 in the app. And as we begin, I want to kind of give a confession of sorts. Uh, Basically, as long as I can remember, I have been really interested or intrigued or even really fascinated with the idea of celebrities. I know that made me me kind of weird, but I kind of always like to see what's going on with famous people and and the news of famous people. And and I honestly think I could trace it all the way back to when I was six or seven years old. I had a moment with a very, very, very big celebrity. See, I was living in Southern California at the time. That's where I was born. And we moved here when I was about seven years old. And we were out, my sister and I were out with my mom doing boring adult things. And we were going to the bank. And we went to Bank of America. And so... Like any six and seven year old, I'm probably just like coloring on the deposit slips, making a scene or whatever, playing with the stanchion things, because that's what you do when you're six or seven at a bank. And out of nowhere, the Shekinah glory of God opened up at that Bank of America. You see, the backstory of why this is so significant is because I grew up in the 90s. I was a 90s kid, and so I have never met, I even talked to a couple people today to, to verify this. I have never met a 90s kid that wasn't obsessed with this TV show, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Now, whether you had kids that were kids in the 90s or whether you yourself were a kid in the 90s, that TV show took over the world and it took over my life. I knew everything about him. I watched every show. And so back to Bank of America, I'm just sitting there coloring on deposit slips and the Shekinah glory of the Lord entered the building because In one instance, Tommy, the Green Ranger, walked in to the bank. Now, I didn't bring a picture of Tommy because that would just cross the line and be a little weird. But Tommy was like a big deal. Even to this day, my kids have now watched them all. If you don't know what we're talking about, you can go on Netflix. All the Power Rangers are on there, and there's like 75 versions of them. And they're all on Netflix. And he walked in, and me and my sister are like, it's the Green Ranger. And he's just in his suit coming to the bank to cash his check from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And me and my sister, I can't believe we did this. We mustered up the courage to, my sister probably dragged me because I was nervous, over to Mr. Green Ranger Tommy. I don't know his real name to this day. And we said, you're the Green Ranger. In which he said, I am. And he probably didn't sound like that, but in that moment, he sounded like that to me. And he pulls out a picture of himself because he's a celebrity and they carry pictures of themselves. And he signed that picture. And it's still in my mom's house. We were over there one time. I showed my kids, and they were like, that's the Green Ranger. I was like, that's what I said. It was. And I think that moment kind of got me stoked on celebrities. I, I know it's weird, but to this day, I like, like kind of looking at, like, what are celebrities up to? Even, even this week, a bunch of my friends, a, a celebrity that I used to follow and a band I used to listen to started dating a really famous celebrity. And I got a bunch of text messages about this, and they know that I care about this. And there's an entire industry, right, built on this. Some of you may have heard of a, of a, a blog and a TV show and a magazine called TMZ, 
Like they're the first on the scene for every major event. They are literally, it exists to exploit the lives of celebrities. And it's no small company. 55 million people visit their website every month. 55 million people. Hundreds of thousands have watched their TV show every night. And what do they do? Literally, they follow celebrities around. And really, they're looking for one thing. When are celebrities going to mess up? There's always something going down in the news. A new scandal. Uh, there's going to be a, a new addiction, a new affair, some new development that has surfaced. And TMZ is on the scene to show us all the juicy details. And I don't know, maybe I'm just bad. But when I see those things, sometimes I struggle. Like, I think this, and maybe you do too. Like, how could they do that? Right? I mean, come on, man. You got all the money in the world, all the fame, all the cars, all the houses, and you still keep messing up. And I even maybe sometimes, if I'm being honest, get to a place to be like, I could never do that. Well, that was before I studied for this sermon this week. Because here's the reality. That statement in and of itself is the beginning of a very dangerous road. We're going to look today from God's word in the book of James where these things that we see all over the news, where they start to crack the surface. They didn't just end up there one day. It was a process. So like I said, we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 to 18. Here's what God's word says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Scott, I think you messed up because Pastor Vance taught on those exact verses last week. And that is true. So you're saying, why are we teaching this verse, these verses again? Well, we actually did that on purpose when we got away several months ago and mapped out the book of James. Because if you remember right, if you didn't, you can go online and watch Pastor Vance's message. But last week, Pastor Vance really looked at the difference between temptation and trials. For the first several verses of, of James, he's talking about this idea of trials. And so Pastor Vance looked at these verses but really took the angle of what is the difference between a temptation and a trial. And so this week, we wanted to dive headfirst, verse by verse, into these verses and talk about what does it look like to deal with temptation. Now, I know maybe you didn't come to church today or maybe you didn't log in online thinking, I can't wait to hear a 30-minute sermon on temptation. But here's what I prayed. I prayed, and even just as we were worshiping earlier, that God would set some people free tonight. Right now, where you're watching with your small group or your family, that God would set some people free who are, feel like it is impossible to resist the temptations of this world. That you're constantly stiff-arming things around you, and it's impossible to deal with this stuff. I've prayed, our pastors have prayed, God set some people free today. So here's how we're going to look at these verses. We're going to look at four ways to deal with with temptation. 
Four ways to deal with temptation. Here's the first one. And this is kind of a recap of last week. To deal with temptation, number one, we have to recognize, recognize it for what it is and what it isn't. It says there in verse 13, when each one is tempted. Well, we got we to gotta define some terms. As we're talking about temptation, whether you were here last week or you checked it out online or not, what is this idea of temptation? Last week, Pastor Vance told us there's, there's these ideas of trials, which are these inevitable circumstances that make life hard. And then we, got a, we gave a definition of temptations. I'm going to remind us what that is. Temptations are opportunities to choose something other than God. There's a lot to unpack there, but very simply, a temptation is something, it's an opportunity to choose something other than God. So as we begin our deep dive tonight on how to deal with temptation, we have to define what it is and what it is not. So I'm going to do that in two ways. I want to kind of do do two groups uh, for us today. The first one is this. Temptation is experienced by everyone. Temptation is experienced by everyone. We know this because if you know the story of Jesus, right before he begins his public ministry, you can read about this in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible says Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted. So like God in the flesh came to the earth and it says he himself was tempted. The reality is if you live in this world, temptation is a part of the deal. The world is broken and temptation is a part. There is constantly right now for you and I opportunities every single day to choose something other than God. Temptation is experienced by everyone. But here's a very important second truth. Temptation is not sin. We know that because we know that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was sinless. So we know that he was tempted in the wilderness, but he was without sin. So again, how do we we combat this this temptation? Because we see it in the life of Jesus, and Jesus gives us an example. Jesus could have just told the enemy to get lost, but he gave us an example. If you read it in the story of Jesus, every time the enemy tempts him with something, he combats that with God's word. That's challenging for us as believers. Because I'm not just going to be able to fight the devil by myself. I'm not just going to be able to fight temptation by myself. Here's what Jesus laid out for us in his word. He combated temptation in his life with the word of God. And resistance is possible. You and I can resist temptation. Temptation is experienced by everyone, but it is not in and of itself sin. It's an opportunity to sin. Another review from yesterday, it's important to know, temptation is not from God. That was a really big deal. We had to know that God can be the source of our trials. There are times when God brings trials into our lives, but God is never the source of our temptation. That's what verse 13 says. God does not tempt anyone. Never, ever, ever. Satan is a liar when he tries to tell you, God has put this in front of you to tempt you. The word of God just said he did not. God... Temptation is not from God. But here's the reality. Temptation is used by God. And this is where it's a good place to to rest if you've ever failed. I'm looking around the room. There's a bunch of people. I know there's a bunch of people tuning in online. And we've all failed. We've all missed it. We've all messed up. And so here's the reality. God uses, when we succumb to that temptation, God uses that. Even in our mess, even in our mistakes, even when we fail, the Bible says his grace is sufficient. What does that mean? His grace is enough for you. No matter how far that thing went, no matter how deep that thing got, 
The Bible says, and I love that Pastor Teddy just quoted it at the end of his prayer in the worship. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purposes. And as I prepared this this week, I thought, man, there's some people in the room and some people online that need to hear that today. Because if you notice, there's not an exception clause in this verse for your sin. Here's what I mean. It doesn't say, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good unless it was really, 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 really bad, and then God won't use that. It doesn't say, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good unless it's that same thing you've been wrestling with for 10 years, man. Just get it together. Can't you beat it? Maybe today you crushed today. It was an amazing day. Man, you feel like you should get an award for how great today was. God causes that for good. This isn't me talking. This is the Bible. Or maybe today you walked in here battered, bruised. You like got online as a last resort because you feel like this week and this whole month and maybe even so far 2021 has been absolutely terrible and everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Here's what the Bible says to you today. God is using that for good. Maybe today you walked In God's grace, you resisted temptation, you walked in holiness, and you are free, and you come in worshiping. Yes, you are awesome, God. God is using that for good. And maybe today you failed, like epically. You you messed up. You succumbed to temptation. You walked in all kinds of sin today, and you're just here just seeing if there's anything left for you. The Bible says God causes that for good. Maybe somebody needs to hear that. Today. So that's what temptation is, and that's what temptation isn't. Here's the second thing as we deal with temptation, we have to take responsibility for it. Amen. We got to take some responsibility for it. Last week, Pastor Vance did a great job of talking about these three sources of temptation. These are right from God's word. We don't really have time to unpack it again. You can go back and listen. But there are three sources of lies for temptation. One of those is the world. We don't need to talk about that much. We live in a jacked up, broken world, and the system and structure of the world will tempt us to sin. Another one is Satan. We have a very real enemy, and he exists to tempt us. The the Bible says he is a liar, the father of lies, and he is the source of our temptation. But there's a, a third one that we don't like to talk about a whole lot, and that's the man or the woman in the mirror. My heart... Your heart will lie to you. I love that Pastor Van said it last week. It's one of my favorite phrases when I see this on a coffee cup or on Pinterest or something. This, this great idea right here, follow your heart. Or how about this one, believe in yourself. This is kind of a new one for my millennial folks. Find your truth. Your truth? There's the truth. But we believe it. Listen, even as Jesus followers, we eat that up. We live in a self-care, self-love, self-help world that we're all all of a sudden thinking we're really awesome. And here's what the Bible just said. Which one of these is James referring to? Let's read it. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by this evil world. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what it says. We're tempted when he is carried away and enticed by that pesky devil. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own 
lust. And when we see that word lust, by the way, we're going to see that a lot. Automatically, we kind of go to sexual lust. That is included. But this word lust, it really means desire. This is what this is saying. Each one is tempted when he is carried away by what his own sinful heart wants. That's hard for us to grasp, especially in the culture we live in. We want to blame somebody else. Like, can we just be honest? We're natural blame shifters. I don't want to take responsibility for this. This actually is an ancient story that goes all the way back to a garden with our great, 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 great grandma and grandpa named Adam and Eve. If you don't know the story, they are placed there in perfect harmony with God. And God gives them one command. Don't eat of this one tree. You'll die. It'll mess you up. It'll mess us up. Of course, we know the story. The serpent tempts Eve. She eats. She gives to her husband. They see that they're naked. They feel ashamed. Sin enters the world. I'm kind of breezing over a massive theological concept, but it's there. I promise. Read the first few chapters of the Bible. Sin enters the world. We'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man. He comes. He's looking for his kids. And he said to him, where are you? He, that's Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, that's God. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And check this out. This is so good. What, what's Adam say? <laughs> the woman you gave me. Listen, gentlemen, if you're married, this is like an epic fail right here. God comes to this man and says, take some responsibility, Adam. He's like, listen, God, that girl you gave me, she messed this whole thing up. I think we're only laughing because, like, we do the same thing. <laughs> then he goes to the woman. He said, what is this you have done? And what does the woman do? The serpent. It wasn't me, God. It was that, 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 that thing that was, uh, well, I guess the Bible said it maybe had, like, you know, wings and, and arms and legs because before it tempted, he wasn't on his belly. But that thing in the tree, that thing tempted me. It wasn't my fault. Fast forward a few hundred generations, and you and I are still doing the same thing. I mean, come on. Let's take responsibility. Taking responsibility in our culture is like a cultural sin. Nobody wants to do it. That politician's wrong. That, that person's wrong. That news anchor's wrong. Every hater on your Facebook page, every whack commenter on your Instagram, the people in your workplace, the people in your home, God help us, the people in our church, it ain't my fault. And maybe I'm just preaching here to myself because I'm a parent of like four elementary school kids, but this is like a real big deal right now in the Worthington house. Like I got four little sinners that don't want to take responsibility for nothing. My wife and I will come in the house. We got like a little garage gym. So we'll come in the house after a workout or we'll come in after something. And, and it literally looks like a bomb went off in my house. And I say, hey, Worthington kids, what happened here? Every one of them. <laughs> Not me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we have a boogeyman that likes to blow up bombs in our house and make laundry go everywhere and trash go everywhere. I literally had that conversation several times this week in my home. And as I was studying this, I pushed away from my computer and I was convicted. Because the reality is it may not look like a messy house, but their dad might not have a messy house, but he's got a pretty messy heart that he doesn't want to take responsibility for. And I thought, man, it looks different. We just grow up a little bit. 
We hear these common excuses all the time. Everyone else is doing it. That's what Adam said, right? It's kind of weird, but everyone in that situation was him and his wife. They were everyone. (laughs) What did he say? Everyone else is doing it. How about this one? The devil made me do it. Well, that's exactly what Eve said. The devil made me do it. Here's what James is saying. Cutting right through our culture that wants to tell us we're awesome all the time. You and I, we're tempted by our own sinfulness. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, lived a long time ago. Here's what he said. I love this this statement. Beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. If you're willing to be real today, like I've had to be real. Listen, preparing a message on temptation is like tough because you're like, man, this is getting after me all week. Scott Worthington's his own worst enemy. I can try to blame everyone around me, but as I'm trying to resist temptation, most of it's coming from me. And here's the reality. We don't want to camp out on the bad news. The good news is, as Jesus followers, if you're in this place today or you're online today and you are watching this, listen, we as, as Jesus followers have the promised Holy Spirit. There's good news around the corner, okay? When you gave your life to Jesus at the moment of salvation, the Bible says this, you were given the Holy Spirit of God. This is a crazy, awesome concept, but God, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes to indwell in your life, in your body. God lives in you. You're like, man, I don't feel like God lives in me. That's because the Bible also says that this old nature of ours, the Bible calls it the flesh. The flesh never goes away. The Holy Spirit comes in and it's got a messed up, wicked, sinful roommate called the flesh inside of me. And so that's life, a constant war between the Holy Spirit of God in me and the flesh And so when I'm talking about being tempted by our own selves, I'm talking about that ugly nature that we still have and we still carry to the day we meet Jesus face to face, the flesh. That's why Jeremiah says the heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You ever gotten there where you think like I can't be that bad and you have a moment when you're like, man, I just thought that. Who really knows how bad it really is? And here's the hardest part about this. As we wrestle with the flesh, nobody talks to me more than me. (laughs) I'm not talking about like walking around talking to myself like a crazy person. I'm talking about like my thought life. Nobody talks to you more than you. A recent study back in July of 2020 from Queen's University in Canada, they suggested, a group of psychologists got together, and they suggested that every human being has over 6,000 thoughts a day. You know what that is? That's 6,000 opportunities every single day to be lured away and enticed by my own sinfulness. To deal with temptation, I I can't blame shift. And it's actually good to get to this place to go, man, I'm that bad. 
Because that's when it shows me I'm, my desperation for Christ. When I realize how bad I am, I realize how good God is. And so that gets me on my face every morning saying, God, I need you. I'm not trying to front like I'm this awesome guy that doesn't need you because then I'm in trouble. Every morning I'm going to come to you because I understand how wicked and sinful I am apart from you. And so every morning I'm getting in the Word saying, God, help me to be a better husband today. Help me to be a better father today, a better pastor, a better citizen of this kingdom because I need you. When you understand how bad things really are, it drives you to the one who's good. So we have to take some responsibility as we deal with temptation. We can't just keep blame shifting because we never deal with the issue. Here's the third thing. To deal with temptation, we have to realize how it works and where it leads. That's what verses 15 to 16 say. Here's what it says. Then when lust, again, here desire, has conceived, it gives birth to sin... And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You see, this is beautiful because we see sin as a single act. I was tempted. I messed up. I missed it. We see sin as a single act, but God is showing us here in the book of James, it's a process. We see sin as a single act God shows us it's a process. Let me explain this. Nobody stands. I've never met anybody to this day. I've done a lot of weddings. I've been to a lot of weddings. Nobody stands at the altar on the best day and the happiest day of their lives. And right before they say I do, they want to make sure they have their divorce attorney on speed dial. Nobody does that. Because nobody, re nobody thinks tomorrow I'm going to want to get divorced. Why? Because it's a process. It's not a single act. Nobody takes that one sip at that party, that one drink at that party, and starts planning out what AA meetings they're going to they're gonna start attending when they realize that they're addicted. It's not a single act. It's a process. That affair that started on Facebook or Instagram probably didn't start as a full-blown affair. It probably started as a friend request and a like and a follow. And it quickly became secretive and sinful you didn't realize, just like those celebrities that I used to judge before this week. And they didn't, they didn't think they'd be there. This is what James is saying. We see sin as a single act. God sees it as a process. And to show us this process, I want to I use a great, a great resource that we study with a lot. It's a guy named Warren Wearsby. If, if you've never studied God's word, I highly encourage you. Warren Wearsby has a commentary on every single New Testament book. It's very practical. It's not like super scholarly and thick. It's very easy to get through and super practical. So this content comes from Warren Wearsby because it was so good. I don't even want to mess with it. Here's what he says is this process. First, temptation starts with a desire. Desire, by the way, in and of itself is not bad, right? Like I plan on after this, after this service, I plan on going. My wife told me she's making burgers. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to get a burger because I'm hungry and I have a desire to eat a burger. And that's not bad. But the Bible says if I constantly worship food and constantly only thought about food, then I'm, then I'm guilty of the sin of gluttony. And so desire for food isn't bad, but gluttony is sinful. I hope today I get a great night's sleep. God literally made our bodies to sleep. Sleep is a great desire to have, but laziness is a sin. So it starts with this desire, and here's how it continues. It continues with deception. That's verse 14, where it talks about being lured away and enticed. As you study that word, all of the commentators agree. This is talking about a fisherman and how he baits fish 
with his lure and his bait. So I, I thought, man, I, I grew up in Las Vegas. I didn't grow up fishing. My family actually grew up hunting, and I didn't do a lot of fishing. So I had to go on a research trip this week because I knew that this, meant, this word meant fishing, and I don't know anything about fishing. So I went to Bass Pro Shop. I know that's some, like, that's a holy temple for some of you. And I went to Bass Pro Shop. And I go into the fishing section thinking I'm going to find eight or ten aisles of fishing stuff. And there's, like, legitimately 55 aisles of fishing stuff. And I pick myself up one of these little lures. I don't know if you can see that, if we can, like, zoom in. I'm trying not to, like, hook myself here. But this little guy right here. This right here looks good. Like, I just want you to picture for a minute. You're a big old bass or trout. I don't know. I'm just saying fish. And you're swimming in the river. And you're getting kind of hungry. And out of nowhere, Mother Nature just blesses you, and this sucker just plops down. It's got this little thing for a tail. It's looking all, it's got four or five different colors. And if you're a fish that's hungry, you just thought, I just scored the jackpot. I'm about to have a buffet. I'm about to brag to all my fish friends that I just made out. And that thing, and, and this is funny, but this is literally a word picture. Every single commentary talks about this idea of being lured away or baited away. That fish comes with that big old fish mouth, and it chomps on what they think is going to be an amazing meal. But what they don't see is this three-pronged death hook right here. I actually took another one off. There was two of them, but I didn't want to, like, cut myself up here while I'm trying to preach a sermon. Here's the picture. That fish saw something that looked good. That's going to satisfy me. That's going to be what I need. And he didn't see beyond the, the bait to the hook that was going to kill him. Nobody approaches these things and goes, man, I can't wait to end up on a fisherman's dinner plate tonight. I'm just trying to go out here and get the thing that looked good to me. And it hooked him. Beyond the bait is the hook. Think about this. This is real in our lives. Some of us right now are chasing these things that look really good, and they look like everything you want, and they look like everything you need, and we could try to blame the devil, and we could try to blame the world, but the reality is my own sinfulness is leading me to think I need that thing, or I want that thing, and that thing is going to satisfy me. That thing is going to make me feel good, but I have no idea that as soon as I bite on, that hook is going to get me, and it is going to be very deceiving. The thing is not what it is promised to be be it's a bait it's a lure continues with deception I start to deceive and then of course it results in disobedience that's what we just talked about when I when I jump on that what started in in my sinful heart it took root in my mind and it made its way out of my life whether through my hands or my life or my thought life I camped out on where I shouldn't be and the Bible says in verse 15 it ends in death it may take months, it may take even years, maybe it'll take days, but the end result of giving into temptation, the word of God says, is death. And I want to be transparent with you. As I was studying this this week, I kind of pushed away from my computer and I kind of thought to myself and I talked to the Lord and I said, God, that kind of seems a little too intense. Like, Spoiler alert, I, I've bit some things and I've, I've sinned and I've listened to the temptation sometimes and I've given in and, and I'm not dead right you read those things you're like what does it mean by death well maybe it's not physical death it could be but maybe for you it's the death of a relationship that means a lot to you 
Maybe it's the death of trust within that relationship. Maybe it's death to your integrity because you know now that you have to rebuild your integrity because the people around you can't trust you because you bit into something you had no business biting into and death came. We think, man, it's just a little taste. It's just a little flirtation. Maybe you've said this. I've said this. It's not hurting anybody. Maybe right now. We're going to go there tonight. Maybe right now you're thinking, this little thing I got going on on the internet, it's not really hurting anybody. It's my own secret thing. No one will ever know. The reality is we have to take God at his word. We don't take seriously sin because we don't believe what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. If you bite into that, it leads to death. Death. That's why James in the next sentence says, brothers, sisters, do not be deceived. We're so easily deceived. We look at this little goofy illustration and we go, yeah, that fish is real foolish. But I bet you you and I can think right now of some things that may not look like this fish, but it looks, it's got the same perspective. It's got the same effect. Right now you think that thing is going to satisfy you. Whatever that thing is, I don't want to be the Holy Spirit tonight. We talked about this in our teaching team. Right now, if you are looking at a lure that has bait on it, you are not seeing beyond the bait. And right now, the Holy Spirit's putting something on your heart to go, man, I know what he's talking about in my life. Last week, Pastor Vance did a great job of unpacking this idea of what should we do in these moments. We should call it out. Right there, wherever it is, maybe tonight in your heart, you just need to go before the Lord and say, God, I understand that thing that I think will satisfy me is a lie. The reality is sin never satisfies. Look to the celebrities. Look to people through generations and generations. They go to well, to well, to well, to well, hoping to be satisfied with whatever that well offered in their satisfaction. And every single one, the Bible calls it a broken cistern. It won't satisfy you. God says, call it out. The bait is keeping you from seeing that it's a lie. So we recognize it for what it is. We take responsibility for it. We realize how it works and where it leads. And here's the last thing. We have to remember who our God is. I love this. We just like went pretty deep into some bad stuff. James kind of goes there. And then in verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, brothers, sisters, And then in verse 17, what does he do? He shifts our focus off of us and our junk onto our good and holy and awesome God. Look at it in verse 17. He goes, hey, remember, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. What's it saying there? Remember, in the midst of you who are deceiving yourselves, in the midst of you who are tempting yourselves, in the midst of all the junk around you, fix your eyes on the one who never changes. Fix your eyes on the awesome, perfect, powerful, grace-giving God who only gives good gifts to his children. What does this do for us? This makes us realize I don't fight temptation in my own strength. James is saying, man, look to God. The one that never changes. You cannot, by your own willpower, beat temptation. Fight off this sin. Only by his power can you do that. I'll close with a, with a quick illustration. I mentioned my wife and I have four kids in elementary school. And 
parents do these differently, so don't, don't email me, please. But we started at, at, at about a year ago with our oldest two. We, we started allowing them to stay home alone with their siblings. Not for a long time, not overnight, but like we run to the store. We go on a quick date night right around the corner. And we started allowing them to stay home alone for a very short period of time. We thought they were responsible enough, and they've proved to be. It's been awesome. When you can get out of the house without kids, that's a win. But it was a little harder for me than I thought it was going to be. Like when that first time happened, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, we're about to leave and like we're, there's no supervision here for these kids. And so we sat them all down. And my oldest son, Bryce, we got a little cell phone that's kind of our house phone. And I said, all right, here's the deal. I don't care what happens. If the doorbell rings, do not answer the door. I don't care who it is. We get like a thousand Amazon packages a day. We know the guys that deliver them. I don't care if you know his name. Do not open the door. Here's what I want you to do. If somebody not rings on the doorbell or knocks on the door, I want you to immediately go to this little cell phone that we bought our house, and I want you to call mom and dad just so we know you're good, you're calm, you're safe. So that's happened numerous times. Somebody knocks on the door. They don't go open the door. Because they know they'd be disciplined. What do they do? They go and they call mom and dad. And here's the picture God gave me as I was preparing for this. Right now, every single day, you and I are getting constant knocks at our door. Constant knocks for temptation. Constant knocks to go somewhere we have no business going. Constant knocks to go and sin and be tempted to jump into some things that honestly are going to bring some death in your life. And I've done it and you do it. But we just walk up and we just open the door. Hey, what's up? Open the door to whatever in my life. Maybe, just maybe, we need to take some advice from the Worthington kids today. And instead of going and opening the door, the first thing we need to do is go the other way and go grab the phone, which is prayer, and call out to our God who is our Father. He's the Father of lights. He's the good, grace-giving God. Every good and perfect gift comes down he doesn't change. You don't have to wonder what's on the other side of the door with God. He gives grace. He gives mercy. That's what it says in the exercise of his will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. What does that mean? He saved you. Don't forget this. In your middle of temptation, James is telling us, this is the God that saved you from your sin. Turn your eyes from the things that are tempting to our God who can save you out of that temptation. We have to recognize temptation for what it is and what it isn't. We have to take responsibility for it. We have to realize how it works and where it leads. And lastly, and most importantly, we have to remember who our God is.